Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Remain standing, take your Bibles, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I want to honor Minister Heidi Capo, who's in from our extension in Bristol Bay. Her and her husband, Pastor Timothy, pastored that work and just finished their season of fishing and caught some fish and they're praising the Lord. She's come to bring all her beautiful world changers to kids camp. We love you, Minister Heidi, Campo family. Moms in Dillingham. Hi, Mom. Acts 6. You all there? We're going to read Acts 6, verses 8 through 11. We will then go to Acts 7, reading verses 54 through 60. Then read Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Acts 8, 4 through 8, and Acts 8, 40. Then we're going to start in the book of Genesis, and we'll work all the way. All right, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Maybe. Acts chapter 6, go to verse 8. New International Version. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, shock, shock, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexander, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses, against God. Go to chapter 7. Verse 54. Now, this whole section here in chapter 7 is one great, some great preaching by Stephen, which you should read at a later time. And after he finished preaching, verse 54, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open. Oh, my. <laughs> and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they can covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul, verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was there, giving approval to his death. Go to verse 4 of that same chapter, chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went 
to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said with shrieks. Hmm. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in the city. What was in the city? Great joy. I want you to go to verse uh, 40. Philip, however, appeared at Azartus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I will put this all together in this word for you today. Brace yourself. Father, thank you for your word that will endure, will remain forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain. And we stand, God, today before your throne, before your angels, and a great cloud of witnesses. We stand today before the enemy and his demon power in a place, Lord, where America desperately needs healing. And I ask, God, that you would use these words and use these lips of clay, that you'd hide me behind your cross once again, that as I preach, as I teach, it would burn faith in the hearts of every single person and all those online. I pray and ask that the effects of this service would be far-reaching even to eternity. And we thank you, knowing that your word goes forth and it does not return void. So have your will and have your way. Speak, touch, move, stir. Let the gifts be in operation. Do whatever you want to do. We won't stop you. And we declare your kingdom here, now, in Jesus' name. Come on, someone say amen and amen. You may be seated. I remember so many years ago being in service, newly saved, hearing a message somewhat similar to this, different text, but the same basic understanding and declaration that I can make a difference with my life. And I want you to know this, that you can make a difference. I want you to say that on the front row all the way to the back. I can make a difference. You can make a difference in, in actual fact you long to do that. All human beings have within their DNA that which was lost in the Garden of Eden. Security, acceptance, and significance. Jesus, the last Adam, purchases all three of those back. All the cults are driven by that. Gangs are driven by that. People join gangs because they feel acceptance, security, and they get significance. Of course, that's a demonic uh, counterfeit of what God wants to give you. He wants to help you to understand that you're accepted by the blood and you're washed and redeemed because of what Jesus done. You're accepted. You're significant. No man can snatch you out of his hand. No, not one. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can leave or forsake him, however. Don't forget that. And then the word significant. We can look in, in Jeremiah chapter 1 and you look in the Psalms and we see that God made man. God made man in his own image. In the book of Genesis, he knit us together, it says in Jeremiah chapter 1, and he has a calling and a purpose for you. If you were just supposed to be here, you know, if you crawled out of some primordial slime, then life doesn't matter and abortion is fine. But you didn't come out of a primordial slime. You were made in the image of God and abortion is not fine. You're made in God's image. Murder is not fine. 
And so God has a plan for you. Come on, say it. Say God's got a plan. God's got a plan for you. And his plan is for you to make a difference. And when I say difference, I mean an eternal one. An eternal difference. We read excerpts of this these lives of these two men. And we do have notes for you. We'd encourage you to fill those in as we move along. That way it'll help you remember what's preached and you can go and preach it to somebody else. Excerpts of the story of two people, Stephen and Philip. Stephen and, and Philip. Now what's interesting to me is uh, they were not a part of the in crowd, if I could just say it that way. Okay, They were not in the upper room. I don't believe they're in the upper room, I'll say it that way. Now, I've got no evidence of that, except for the fact that those who were in the upper room, you understand upper room, Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Spirit, that was basically Hebraic Jews. Stephen and Philip, they were, Hellen they were Hellenistic Jews. They were Greek-speaking Jews. So I don't think they're in the upper room. So they're not there at the outpouring of the 120. Now, I'm, I'm reading a little bit into it, but I believe that's the case. Because those were Jews Jewish believers, you follow me. Messianic believers. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and they waited in the upper room in obedience to the word, tarry, wait until you're endued with power from on high. So I, they're not in that upper room. They weren't, they weren't a part of the 12. They're not a part of the apostles. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're not a part of the 12 disciples. They weren't there when Jesus fed the 5,000. They weren't there when, when Jesus healed the paralytic. They weren't there when he raised the dead. They weren't there when he cleansed the leper. They weren't there when Jesus did all the incredible signs and wonders and miracles, and yet we read of them having an incredible impact, even in nations. They made a difference, these two men. They were a part of a Greek-speaking Jewish leaders who were chosen to fix the problem of prejudice. What are you talking about? Well, the distribution of the food was to take place, and the Greek-speaking uh, ladies, the uh, uh, widows, pardon me, the Greek-speaking widows, the Greek-speaking believers, the widows of them, their moms, they were neglected in the daily distribution of food. There was prejudice. And so this complaint, this, this, this problem arose, and the apostles solved it. And they solved it by how? They solved it by multiplying their leadership and releasing now this new group of leaders, not Jewish-believing leaders, now Greek-speaking believers. I think maybe they got saved, these two, on the day of Pentecost when they came out and preached and 3,000 people got added. I think they could have got saved then, but they weren't in the upper room as near as I can see as I've studied this text, this problem of prejudice and division. And the answer was raising up Greek-speaking Jewish believers to solve the problem. And the apostle said, far be it for us to wait on tables and neglect the ministry of the word, the ministry of the word. Let's look at these two. Stephen, bold witness. Oh, we're bold. Bold witness for Jesus among the Greek-speaking Jews in the synagogue. And these Jews coming out of the synagogue, and it gives us a name, the freedmen, the name of the, it's like the name of our church is kings, right? Kings, cathedral and chapels. The name of the synagogue was the freedmen synagogue. And so they come out of that, and they, they're not happy about the boldness of, of Stephen. And God did miracles through him. God did what? 
miracles through him. This destroys that argument from cessationists that say, well, miracles cease with the apostles. Well, this is not even an apostle. This is Stephen. So he's, a, he's not even a Jewish believer. He's one of the first Hellenistic or Greek-speaking believers now. And miracles flow through him. And he preached this sermon, and I told you, go read it. Go read that. And I, what he did in that sermon is what I often like to do. I love to take Old Testament reality and timeless truth and tie it into the New Testament, the types and shadows, and bring it into the New Testament reality and just kind of blow it up. That's my favorite thing. That's what he does in his message that he preaches that's undeniable, that destroyed demon power and confounded them so much that they lost their mind. He boldly confronted Jewish religious leadership, their religiosity, their hypocrisy. I'll tell you what one of my favorite things to do is, is to irritate religious people. Listen, religion and tradition will never get you free. If the two twin sisters from Helen, if there were triplets, poverty would walk along with them. You, you don't need more religion. You need a relationship. You need a transformative encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit to change you on the inside, to transform you, to bring healing, to bring power. And so their religiosity and hypocrisy, he confronted with the love and the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he gives this special gift. Come on, the gifts of the Spirit. This is one of the gifts of the Spirit. You only give it once. It's called martyrdom. So he surrenders his entire life, gives up his life for the gospel, and he's, he's killed. He's stoned to death. And his stoning releases a wave of persecution against the church. That's Stephen. Let's look at Philip. Because of the persecution there in Jerusalem, they're scattered, and they began to preach all over. And, and this guy Philip, again, he's a Greek-speaking Hellenistic Jew that becomes a believer, Philip. And he goes to a place to Samaria where Jesus started a revival and, and he goes to finish it off. He, he has this great revival in Samaria. Thousands are touched. Thousands. A whole city is touched by this, this man who's making a difference. And Peter and John, the apostles, come to check out what's taking place. And they lay hands on those that were there and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And while he's there, and you can go and read these, these historical events, while he's there in this outpouring, this, uh, this, this warlock gets saved, and it's this powerful demonstration by the apostles, and God speaks to him and says, yeah, I want you to go to the desert. It's like every evangelist and every pastor's dream. You're in the middle of an outpouring, and God says, pack up and head off to Dillingham. Oh, I'm, I'm, I believe for Dillingham to be in revival too. You know, there's, there's villages in Alaska that do not even have a church. You imagine in, in the, can you imagine in the dream assignment and in the midst of that, God says, that's good, you can go now. Right? He leaves that and that, that continues and he goes to the desert at the leading of the Lord. We do not know how long he's standing there and this Ethiopian eunuch a very important Ethiopian eunuch, who he doesn't know, he doesn't know this yet, but is going by in a chariot. And the Lord says to him, Go talk to him. So he runs after the chariot. Now, I, don't, I didn't do the math on how fast a chariot is, but I think Philip had some wheels. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The Spirit of God came on him, maybe like Elijah. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. But he ran after the chariot. And I wonder what I've tried to imagine. Listen, when you read the word, don't just read it like it's a little storybook, put yourself in it. 
So Philip's running after the chariot. Can you imagine the the guys there reading the scroll? Maybe somebody else is driving the chariot because you shouldn't text and drive. Everybody said amen. So he's, he's, he's reading the text. He's not driving. I don't think somebody else is driving him. I don't know. It doesn't say, and I didn't do a, a study on chariot driving or how fast they went. But my, my, my sense is like he's reading it, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Ah! You know, there's this guy. What are you reading? Isaiah. And, you know, they stop, and he explains to him, or he explained it while he was running. I mean, I don't know. But the, the man is blown away. He, he preaches Christ to him out of Isaiah, which is easy to do. And, the, and this Ethiopian eunuch, who, who was over the treasury of Candace in Ethiopia, a whole other nation, he's heading back. He says, is there anything to keep me from being baptized? He becomes a believer, receives Jesus Christ. They pull over, there's water. They get out and they have a baptism. Let me just tell you, the baptisms we had at Wasilla Lake were off the chain. I mean, amazing. Over 100 people gathering and people in the rain. People were driving by like, what are those people doing? I mean, who else would stand in the rain at 60 degrees and get baptized in a leech-infested lake? Crazy people that love God, that's who. So he gets baptized, and he comes up out of the water, and poof, Philip is translated. He's translated, and he ministers along the... Translated means he got taken away. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, like, wouldn't that be great? We could just, like, preach here and then go to Dillingham. Hey! That's what happens. This is the New Testament. He's, he evaporates before the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian is blown away, I'm sure. And he's brought to this, the coastline, and he, he settles in Caesarea. He preaches and he ministers, as that text says. He finds a wife, and he raises a family. In fact, he raises... Four daughters that were all prophetesses. Wow. What's common in both of these? We look at these two men. We're going to tie it, to, tie it into where we are in our nation and how to bring healing and God's plan for you to make a difference. They both glorified God in their untimely death. How many of you know that was a little shorter than I'm sure Stephen was hoping for? But what a glorious death that was. You know this, when he says, I see the Son of Man standing. How many of you know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? So when Jesus stands up, it's, it's, it's an amazing picture. So the, the picture is Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. I'll play Jesus for a second. And, and Stephen's getting the first martyr. He's the first martyr, you know, in the New Testament. And he's being martyred. He's being killed. And Jesus stands up and says, come on, son. Yes, yes. And I mean, he gets to see this. Heaven opens and he's like, whoa. You, you, you think you'd be in a lot of pain. I'm going to tell you something. I don't think there's a whole lot of pain. I think the glory of the Lord absolutely overshadowed the rocks bouncing off of his skull. But he died an untimely death. Both men eventually died. I mean, you know, Philip's not with us today. Stephen died what would be untimely, and the other, the other man, Philip, he, he lived a rather lengthy life to raise daughters and so on and so forth. You know, we all want to live a lengthy life. Uh, you've heard me say it, because uh, I know the power of words. You've heard me say I'm going to preach, pray, and prophesy 120. 
How long are you going to live, Pastor? 120 years. I, I know the power of words. I've seen people say, well, by the time I'm 60, I don't, even like say, I don't even like saying what they said. By the time I'm 60, I'm going to be dead. How many people do I know that said that died when they were 60? Too many examples. Too many. We all want to live a lengthy life, but the truth is, you don't know what God has planned for your life. God has a plan to, to use you, however, to make a difference. No man knows the time. No man knows the hour of his return, and you and I are given but one life to live, and after that, the judgment. So you don't know when it's over. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Come on, somebody say praise him. But they both glorified the Lord. They both affected thousands of souls. Stephen's death caused Greek-speaking Jewish believers to leave Jerusalem and spread the gospel everywhere because of his boldness. Because of his boldness. I've seen the boldness of others that has affected me to be more bold. There's something about being around people that are bold. It'll affect you. In this case, it caused um, the first really outbreak of missionaries to be, I think they should have gone out long before, but they, but they didn't. For whatever reason, they're still in Jerusalem, and this persecution caused them to scatter. You know, persecution, while none of us like that, and, and you probably weren't persecuted, and, and I don't think being, you know, being cut off and somebody flipping you the single finger salute, you know, because you had a Christian fish on your back of your car, is probably not persecution. But persecution is real. I've experienced just a very little bit of it. Very little. But persecution comes, and when it comes, it's a beautiful aspect of God turning that for good, is that it purifies the church. And I will tell you, this COVID-19 thing is separating the, 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 the men from the boys, if I can say it that way. I, read, I, I heard and, and read this uh, declaration from John MacArthur, who I completely disagree with some theological stances that he has. He's a cessationist, doesn't believe in the gifts, He's, uh, but a great man and a great scholar in many other respects. He wrote a, a masterpiece. I'm going to get it, I'm going to print it, and I'm going to let you read it. It is a masterpiece of why the church cannot listen to government about closing our services. I want to tell you, I feel such a fire in my belly. Come on in. Are we just, we just going to close? Are we going to close? There's not much social distancing happening right now. But if you listen, if you're not feeling well and, you know, you're concerned about that, 16, 10 a.m. in the parking lot, we're really glad you're here. I'm not going to look my, down my nose at you, nor will anybody else. You want to wear a mask, go right ahead. But we're going to have church full blast with our hair on fire. And I'm believing that no one here is going to get COVID-19. Can someone say amen? But if you do hear about somebody getting COVID-19, make sure you let us know so we can go lay hands on them and pray for them. I'm not going to hide out and shut things down and back away like some sissy. Can we say that? He had a boldness. Stephen had a boldness. This fire that came on him, and he affected the entire church because of his boldness. Come on, we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb. This is Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. We overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb, and <laughs> some of you, some of you don't understand. One of the ways that you overcome, of course, by the blood, by the word of your testimony, but don't miss the third part of the equation. 
If you are afraid, then you'll have fear come on you. It is one of the things the enemy uses to stop the church. I'm not afraid. I ain't ever going to yield to fear. I'm going to boldly move forward filled with the love of God. God, help me. I can be so irritating and, and crass at times. And so can you. He wasn't afraid. And because of that, it released really the first modern day I could say modern day, missionary movement. They left. They left their homes. They're like, we're out of here. And Philip goes off to, you know, goes off to uh, Samaria. The Antiochian church, right in your notes, was birthed as a result, as was the church in Samaria. It was birthed because Stephen gave his life, gave his all, gave the gift you give once, martyrdom, died. And that released courage and strength and Oh, maybe it just maybe they didn't want to die either, so they ran away. As long as Christ is preached. And so they go, perhaps protecting their lives, perhaps because they're full of the boldness to reach the world, whatever the reason. Stephen's life affected thousands. Philip touched two nations. He was a bridge between Jewish and Gentile worlds, if you look at Philip. Amazing. He ministered. He ministered to Samaria, which is really the, it's a mixture of Judaism and paganism. But then he ministers to this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch. We have churches in Ethiopia as we speak because of the, of the gospel going there, I believe, from this Ethiopian eunuch as well as others. He, he touched two Gentile nations. He was a bridge. Stephen's death affected Saul who later became the Apostle Paul. And, and is, somebody said, you know, Pastor, I, you know, I've got this challenge. I've got that problem. I, I, you know, I, I, I just stay home and pray. Is, is that okay? Let's believe for your problems to be solved, but thank God you pray. Thank God there's a group of intercessors. You see what Stephen does. He says, receive my spirit. He hits his knees, and then he prays this most beautiful prayer, which I believe paved a way for Saul to become the apostle Paul. He says, nevertheless, don't hold this sin against him. He forgives Saul as he's dying in intercession. It's a powerful picture of intercession. Saul becomes the apostle Paul. He, can, you imagine, can you imagine Saul? Saul was no idiot. He was, he was, you know, next in line to be the great Pharisee. He was taught by Gamil. I mean, he was, a, he was an amazing scholar, and he's watching this man give his life and see the glory of God come upon him. Listen, signs and wonders and miracles shut up naysayers. And when you see the glory and the joy of the Lord on someone, I don't care, you, you could say whatever you want, people see that. People see, huh, I sure hate him, but that looks like a lot of joy. It does, does something. It does something. I wish you would shut up and stop talking about Jesus and that stupid grin. You know, and it's a demonic thing that tries to come on people, but, but a delivered life, a life that is brought into transformation, a life that, that forsakes lust and greed and turns from its wicked ways, a life that's been redeemed by the blood. Come on, when they look at you, Minister Vicky, they know there's gotta be a God, come on. Come on, when they look at you, they know, man, they're muck. They're, that's some evidence right there. I, I knew him. He was jacked up. Look at him now. Filled with joy, filled with hope. 
And I think that Saul, which is his Hebrew name, he later changes it to Paul, which is his Greek name. I think Saul saw that. Then the intercession and just Christ-likeness, the power of God, it affected him. And he wrote three quarters of the New Testament. He planted more churches. He was a man on a mission. Come on, you can make a difference. Say, I can make a difference. Stephen made a difference. Philip made a difference. They weren't a part of the apostles. They weren't part of the local in crowd. They both made a difference. God's speaking to us very simply. You can make a difference. I want you to make it personal. I can make a difference. I want you to believe that. Turn to John chapter 20. I think of a boy who was dying in Oklahoma with TB, John 20. His mom and dad were Pentecostal believers. And they prayed for him to be healed, and eventually he got healed, and he became a pastor. While he was pastoring, the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to do healing meetings all across America. He began to do those healing meetings, and his name was Oral Roberts. The power of God would come on Oral Roberts. He would sit in a chair, and his right hand would shake with the power of God. He'd sit in the chair, and he'd lay hands on people, and a great healing movement took place all during the 50s. and Tents all over. People began to do TV. Started Oral Roberts University, which some of you have been to and gone to and graduated from. Just a, just a boy from Oklahoma. I'd ought to give hope to all the people from Oklahoma. It ought to give hope to every one of us. Oklahoma, okay. All right. John 20, are you all there? I'm not. Joyce Myers. Joyce Myers was a Sunday... She, this woman had so many issues, she'd tell you herself. She was a part of a, a, part of a church uh, that Dr. Morocco would go and speak at. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I, at any rate, she, was, she just loved children. Joyce Myers, you know who she is? She's the largest television network, one of the largest television shows all across the world. And she had a desire to help little kids. So she started helping in Sunday school. And her pastor, Pastor Rick Sheldon, I got it. Pastor Rick Sheldon said, you know, I see God's hand on you. Would you become part of our staff? And, and she said, I will. And she started. She had issues. Pastor Rick Sheldon would tell, talk about it. And she talks about it. She had so many issues. She was so bound. She, I mean, she had challenges. They worked through that. She became the staff of the children's ministry, and things began to happen for her one after another, after another, after another. She now is, come on. Do you know that your miracle could start by you getting involved in passing out a napkin? Passing out a little cracker? Do you know your miracle could start that way? You can make a difference. If I don't want to go to Carlos Ministry and pass out napkins. Oh, that's why you're never going to do anything for Jesus. Get off your duff and make a difference. Come on, somebody say amen. I'm not quite sure what a duff is. John 20, go, go to verse. <laughs> 20. This is really like the, the conception of the church. 
I'd say it that way. The birth of the church is Acts chapter two. Jesus came and he stood among them and says, peace be with you. Verse 20, John 20 and 20. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Again, he said. Everybody say again. Again, he said. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Let's just stop for a moment. Why did the Father send Jesus? To make a difference, the ultimate difference. What did he send Jesus to do? John 10 and 10, to destroy the works of the devil. Come on, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full life abundantly. So when, how did the, what did the Father send Jesus to do? To destroy the works of the devil. What does Jesus say right here? As the Father sent me, I send you. What do you think God has called you to do? He's called you to make a difference. He's called you to destroy the works of the devil by the authority of the blood of Jesus. That's what he's done. Come on, you can make a difference. The Korean War was a young man after the Korean War who was dying. And this lady came and preached Jesus to him, and he got born again. He got saved. After he got out of the hospital, he got saved, he got healed. And after he got out of the hospital, he met this other more senior than him, and he was a young man, lady, and she began to help him and disciple him along with others. They decided to start a church. He ended up marrying her daughter. They decided to start a church with a U.S. military tent that had holes in it and just about, you know, six or seven people. Six or seven people grew, and then it grew from there, and it grew again. His name is Dr. Yonggi Cho, who pastored the largest church in the world of over, I mean, it's, I, I don't know how big it is now, but it's thousands and thousands of extensions, and he's passed on leadership now. He's quite elderly who knows what God could do with you? You could make a difference. I think about, I think about Dr. Morocco, who wanted to become a professor and on a college campus, was a great football player, and wanted to play ball, and great football player. So as he was in college, this little boy comes over to him, and a young man says, I think you're going to get hurt today. He goes out and hurts his knee. And uh, God turned that around. How many of you know God doesn't hurt your knee? How many of you know the devil comes to bring wounding? God turned that and called him to be a pastor. And I think about all the thousands of lives now, nations all around, over 300 churches planted because one guy said yes. I think about, I think about his mother. I wouldn't, I, you know, I... I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Dr. Morocco. I can't hardly talk about it because he's been Jesus to me in shoe leather. I mean, really, he has. He's a great man of God, and I esteem him highly. I think about a man by the name of Kit Lauer in my life. Kit Lauer was a very wealthy builder, developer, and sitting in his beautiful home in Northern California many, many years ago was, seeming, was so empty that he decided just to get a Bible and start reading it. So he started reading through the New Testament and he saw that he needed to be born again. 
I believe the text was John 3. He saw this man, Nicodemus. He saw all the money that he had and, 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 and all the wealth that he had. And he said, like, does it mean anything? I'm empty and my marriage is on the rocks. And he read this story about Nicodemus, as I recall, and he, he gave his life to Jesus. And he started serving God with all his heart. And he would do incredibly outlandish, generous, crazy things. He was there. He met my mother when she came off the plane. My mother flew into Maui all these years ago, many, many years ago, and had nothing, had been through a great you know, challenge in her life. So she called a church, just called some random local church. I'm coming into Maui, and I need help. I don't have, I don't have what I need. I need help. Kit Lauer and his wife met my mother at the airport, gave her a blanket, and brought her home, you know, and, and fed her and put them in her house, in their house. And she was there for a season and, and began to be a part of the church there and began to learn to pray. And, and then, of course, the number one thing that she was praying for is all her kids to get saved. And I was more lost than maybe the rest of them, maybe. She interceded, and eventually I got saved because of my mom's prayers. So you don't know you're, you're a random act of kindness that you're doing for somebody. You might even actually be ministering to angels unaware, Hebrews says. Kit Lauer became a close family friend. It was my best man when I got married. What most people don't know, and, and, and some of you listening know Kit, he's gone on to be with the Lord. I would get to a place in my, in my life in those early days of being a Christian where I couldn't see, I was so I had lost two daughters, not in death, but it's a type of death. It's called divorce before I got saved. And there were times of incredible demonic despair that would come on me where I couldn't stand to even breathe. I hated the fact that I'd lost my children and Emma was single. It was before we met. And I would get to this place where I just wanted to die. I asked God to take, just take me. I can't take it. And these thoughts would come of tremendous pain and loss, mixed and mashed up with a whole lifetime of rejection and pain and loss. And this thought would come, go to Kit's house. And I would run some, I would live, a, I lived a couple miles away. I, there were times where I would run the whole distance to his house. And like run, run, sprinting there, don't stop, don't do anything, just go to his house. All I could think of is just get to Kit's house, just get to Kit's house, just get, I'd knock on the door. He'd open the door, this happened countless times. He'd open the door, that's exaggerating. Six or seven times it happened. He'd open the door and be looking at him like, like, a, like an angel. He, he'd be in his study and he'd be like radiating God. I mean, that's what I, I open the door. It's like, kid. He says, oh, come on in, son. And he'd take me and he'd bring me in and I'd fall at his feet and he would sit down and he would pray for me and he would just lose himself in prayer. And, and then we would counsel a little bit. He would pray. And I would get up sometimes after an hour, sometimes half an hour, sometimes two hours. I'd get up feeling like, man, I am going to conquer the world. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to fulfill what God called me to do. And I leave that place. Most people don't know that story of kid in my life. I don't know what I'd done without him. He was, he was just right there at the right time. doing. What, and to him, it seemed so feeble. We talked about it later. But it wasn't feeble at all. It was pouring into a young man who was broken, willing to give of his time and his talent and the anointing that was upon his life. And it changed me. It changed me. Years later, he, many years later, I'm in Alaska, he, he got a horrible, strange leukemia. And many people prayed, 
All kinds of people prayed for him. I prayed for him. I laid hands on him. I mean, he was a great pastor at that point. The church there in the islands had raised up many, many disciples. And I was able to get to the islands the week before he died. And I'll never forget going there. I went with Tom Rappi. Tom Rappi witnessed the whole thing all those years ago. We went to a conference. It was the perfect timing. I knocked on the gate of his house, and his wife, Shelly, answered and said, Kits, he's sleeping. He can't see anybody. I said, okay, well, he's going to wake up, and I'm going to come back, and I'll see him then. She said, okay, Daniel. I said, okay. We went down to the beach, and we prayed. We went back and forth. I said, God, I got to see him one more time. I want to see him one more time, God. And I, when I felt the release, I went back. I knocked. She said, you know, he's awake, which is amazing. I said, that's because he, he needs to see me. She, she laughed at me. She goes, well, come on in. I came in. Kit came out in a lava lava. I'll never forget it. And he sat down, and the power of God fell. And he began to tell me about, about what, I mean, I, honestly, it went into my spirit. He was so close to God. It was just like this thin veil before he passed. It was right before he passed. And he spoke of things about the Lord, about, about the kingdom of God. And I just sat there, honestly. I couldn't hardly hear anything because I was so wrecked in the presence of God. And the Lord spoke to me and said, ask him for the blessing. I said, I want you to bless me. He said, oh, son, come. I got down on my knees. He laid hands on my head. I do not know how long he prayed for. I just do know that my entire head was covered with water of his tears. And there was a puddle underneath my face from his tears hitting my head and going around and hitting the ground. And something happened to me that day. I can't quite put my finger on it. But a man who surrendered to Jesus was willing to give of his life and his time and his talent and his treasure affected this man. I would not even be serving God, I don't think, if it was for him. That's why I made him my best man. Kit made a difference. Dr. Morocco's made a difference. You say, well, those are like two great men of God. They all started seemingly insignificant and small. You can make a difference. God's speaking to us so clearly today, I believe, before we take communion. We must be equipped. These two, Stephen and Philip, were equipped. They didn't just wisp in off of some podcast and show up somewhere and expect to be the next Billy Grant. I see a lot of that. I just want to prophesy over people in your church. Man, I don't even know where your hands have been. Keep your words to yourself till we get to know you. I got rules about that. Why is that? Because, I, because I'm not going to have somebody running in here roughshod doing some crazy stuff. We'll stop you. That's not very much freedom. Well, you can go somewhere else then. Come on, smile at me. Pastor Karen told me to tell you that right there. 
We must be equipped. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. I could take a whole rest of the service and go on into the night with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They had the power of the Holy Ghost. You know, D.L. Moody, I heard this story from, story from my brother yesterday. He's reading about this story about D.L. Moody. Had the, the largest church in Chicago. Preached, I mean, thousands of people. Amazing man of God. And two grandmas would come on some of the front rows and they'd be rocking back and forth during his services. And he felt led to just go ask them. What are, you, what are you all praying for? Oh, we're praying you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he says, well, I'm, I'm look at these great messages and the church is growing. Why do, I, why do I need that? He said, no, you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He sought the Lord. He cried out for God. And I have to go get the book. I wish I could reference it. Maybe I'll do that in the second service if I get a hold of my brother John. He cried out for God. He got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And he went over to Europe, and the same messages now carried power, and miracles began to break out all over Europe because of his ministry. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be full of faith. Look at two. Full of what? Full of faith. You're getting a, you came today. You've got faith today. I can feel a swelling in some of your guys' spirits where you're like, I can make a difference. That's the way you should feel. You sit in a service like this, or you leave this place, you ought to feel like, man, I'm going to go set the world on fire with the Rakalala Bahaya Shataya. Ah, God. Let's get Pentecostal for a second. Let's just calm down. You can make a difference. How long have you been playing the keys? Listen to this. How long have you been playing? Three, four years? Total of four years. Total of four years. But you couldn't play nothing. Started playing in 2014. So I don't know, six years now, yeah. One of our main worship leaders. Think about the things that God is speaking to you. You gotta get equipped. You gotta get, you gotta get equipped, get filled with the Holy Spirit. You gotta be full of faith. Everybody say full of faith. You come under messages like this and others. And there's other, you know, go read the word, spend time in the word, study the word. Seek God's favor. Everybody say, seek God's favor. That's what they did. They, they, they yearned for God's grace, for God's favor. Thirdly, serve. I've coined a new term. Actually, I don't think it's mine. I heard it somewhere else, but I haven't heard it in a long time. I heard it about 10 years ago. I think it was from Dino Rizzo's church called The Healing Place. He says, we need a servolution. It's like a revolution, but it's a revolution of people serving. We need a servolution. You say, seriously? Yeah, we do. We're growing at such an exponential rate here. And it's not just our church that needs it. And it is, it is happening. Life groups, people getting involved in life groups, learning the word at home, people getting involved in King's School of Ministry, people a part of a dream team. Children, listen, our children's church is explosive. On Wednesday, we had a great outpouring. I mean, it was, it was a great outpouring. Wednesday was amazing service, Wednesday. And listen, I have a word that I was going to preach tonight, but, the, but I, I feel like I just don't have the time slot, and I think it'll have a greater impact. I feel like he wants me to do it on Wednesday. I got a word from the Lord. I wanted to preach this morning, but he gave me this instead, which is a good alternate. But I have a prophetic word on Wednesday. Do not miss Wednesday. God's going to come and rip the place up with the power of God. So Wednesday, you know, we went long. And we had, we had someone in part of our children's church said, I, 
I just, I can't, I can't serve anymore. It's too late and we're tired and my family, and listen, I'm not belittling that, I understand. See, really what we need is more, more people serving so that you can alternate and share the burden. There's hundreds of kids going through there every Sunday. Stephen and Philip, they served and they were promoted. Some of you are looking for promotion without serving. It's not gonna happen, certainly not here. And that's not the way that God works. No, you overcome stuff, then you get promoted. <laughs> Somebody say, Lord, help me to overcome. Come on, help me to get where some of you aren't serving at all. Prayer. Who would knew that know that Joyce Meyer would start in a nursery and impact the whole world? You don't know what God's gonna do with you. Just get serving. You were like, I don't know my calling. You know, I found you get your calling, but get going. It's hard to, it's hard to direct something that's not moving. You're waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for my ship to come in. Your ship sank. Make a ship. Get out there. Get serving. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on, say I can make a difference. Let's change the world. That's what America needs. America needs people like Stephen, like Philip, no name, burning, shining lamp. You look for your, look for your name in, in the marquee. How about, how about just get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and then serve him because you were going to hell. And so the reasonable thing you should do is be a living sacrifice and servant. How about that? How about, how about that? Find a place to serve. In your car, in your seat pocket in front of you are these get involved. Is that what they're called? What are they called? Join a team. Thank you so much. I want you to fill those out. Some of you, God's spoken to you. Strike your arrows right now. Fill that card out. Ushers, would you come? We're gonna receive communion. And as they're coming, if you're not right with God, don't you leave this place in that condition. Those online, those here under the sound of my voice, give your life to Jesus. That's the first start. Before you pass those out, gentlemen, just hold up. Give your life to Jesus. Don't, don't, don't wait. Don't wait another day. You're not promised another day. I mean, I pray you have 100, 120 years like I'm going to have. But the truth is that no man knows the time. That's it. We don't know. So give your life to Jesus. You'd be like, wait till I get my act together. That's not how that works. You're jacked up. You know it. We all come to the Lord that way. We come to him. He loves us so much. He receives us that way. And then loves us so much. He refuses to leave us that way. And he'll change us and he'll transform us, and he'll make us into the image of Christ. So why? So that we can make a difference, so that we can change the world. But you gotta give your life to Jesus. That's you. You wanna give your heart to Christ for the first time, or you wanna make a recommitment, just pray this prayer with me right out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place and to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my life be my Lord, be my Savior. Thank you that you rose again so I can live a resurrected life. Fill me now. Wash me and cleanse me now. And use me to make a difference, to serve. Because that's a reasonable thing I should do. Considering what you've done for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. I ask Holy Spirit, fill, touch, bless, break every bondage, every chain. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go right ahead. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus.
you're served, just stand up on your feet on your At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I am happy all the For the mud, all the blood. special anointing to open these. Okay. All right. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. Okay, people still being served. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in likewise manner, he took the cup and he blessed it. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood, which is shed for you, and as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So God, before you, we remember that you were crucified, that you took our sin, you took our sickness, you took our disease, you took our poverty, you took it all. And we declare that. We declare healing is found in you and no one else. We declare that salvation, oh, there's no other name given among men by which you must be saved. We declare that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we bow today and we confess today that you're our Savior, our Deliverer, our Healer, our Provider. We thank you. Now forgive us, Lord, for where we've fallen short, where we've grieved you. Wash us, God, and cleanse us. Help us to be mindful. May the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth be acceptable to you. May we serve and rightly represent you in this state, in this nation, in the nations of the world. We will make a difference because you saved us, you've healed us, and you've called us for such a time as this. So we receive your healing, we receive your forgiveness, and we declare your eminent and soon return. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat and drink together. Isn't God great? I hope you got something from the Lord. I did. I'm so encouraged. I am. You can pass your uh, remnants to the aisles. And uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. If you have children, would you kindly uh, get them as soon as you can so we can make room for the next service that starts at 11. Father, thank you. Now bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us. Keep us and give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Hope to see you tonight at 6 o'clock. God bless you. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.